Good morning. morning. We're in between series right now. I'm starting a new series next weekend that I can't wait for. It is, it's got to be the greatest series I've ever done in my career. (laughs) And, And really, this one is. It's our Christmas series. It's called Beginnings. I'm taking us back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3 to see how we all got started. I, I just realized I'd never done a series on those three chapters. And so, you know, the, how do we know there's a God? And did God make the world? And how do we get here? And what's our purpose? And does God care about me? And does he even know about me? All those things we're going to be talking about in our Christmas series this year. It's called Beginnings. It starts next week, and I can't wait to get started. But today, I'm going to take off uh, from a series. And, and I just want to talk to you about Thanksgiving, because after all, the holiday is coming up in four days. And for us as Americans, Thanksgiving typically means that we eat way, way, way too much. Maybe we'll go see friends or family. And being from Texas, uh, 3 o'clock or 3.30 in the afternoon always has meant the same thing for me for the last 45 years because Dallas Cowboys have been on. And for those of you that are real, yeah, right. And I do remember in the mid-70s, there were a couple of years I took off. So for all of you really big Dallas Cowboy fans, I know that. Um, it is, it's a big day, and it's great. It's a, it's a great time for us to get together and to have a good, good time. But my question is, do we really understand what Thanksgiving is? Do, do, have we ever really thought about what it means? And, and maybe we need to stop and think about how important it is to God. So today, to begin my talk, I'd like to just read to you from uh, my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 100. In fact, if you've ever gotten a handwritten note from me, chances are what happened was I signed my name, and down at the bottom it said PS100. Now, P.S. is an abbreviation for the book of Psalms, and I I didn't realize that that's probably something that ministers or Bible students might might know, but it might not be common knowledge, because every once in a while, I would get a response from someone who would say, hey, Mark, I got your note, and I saw the P.S. at the bottom, but what does 100 mean? And so it really means Psalm, Psalm 100, because if you get a note from me, I, I sign it off with that, because Psalm 100 just expresses how I feel every day of my life. I want to take you to the fourth and fifth verse of Psalm 100, and I'd like to just read to you what it says. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Look at how how it's repeated here. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I love the worship experience at New Spring, and I've told you this before, I depend upon it, and I get to experience it three times every weekend, and I love what it does for me, because I get stressed just like everybody else does, maybe even more so, because I have a real edgy personality. I, I was ADD before it was cool. Um, I, I can, listen, you, if I can worry about stuff that never materializes, in fact, if I don't have anything to worry about, I worry about that. I, that's just, you know, I think, what's, what's wrong that I'm not catching? And so with the weekend, my mind goes 100 miles an hour, and I'm usually thinking about the talk that I'm about to deliver, and that's scaring me. And, and when I come in here to worship, I just love the worship experience because it has a way of just recalibrating my thinking and my heart and my emotions. And I depend upon that. And, and that's a good thing because when you come in, chances are, and you start worshiping with, with Lance and, and the team, you'll begin to experience joy if you let your heart be open to what God is doing. You, you'll, your heart will be open to faith as the messages of these marvelous songs, begin to, the lyrics begin to get into you. So it, it can raise joy, it can raise faith, it can raise hope. But the Bible is saying there's one thing that you need to have running before you come in here, and that is thanksgiving. God says, come in the back doors with thanksgiving. In other words, it shouldn't be something that has to be ginned up or stirred up. We should be living our lives in an attitude of thanksgiving. Well, why is that? Look at the next verse. Because, or for, 
The Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. The reason why I come in here with thanksgiving is because God is good. Does that mean I don't have problems? No, I do. I mean, what happens if you come in here and you say, Mark, I'm terminally ill. How can I be thankful about that? Well, maybe you're not thankful for that, but you can be thankful in that because God is still good. That's what the Bible says. You say, Mark, my marriage is breaking up, but God is still good. And he still cares about you and he loves you. And that means that no matter what you and I are dealing with, we could come in here with the spirit of thanksgiving. My question for us today, and, and this is interesting because in a, in a message like today, I think there are a lot of us who are Americans who can just sort of check out and say, well, I don't know if Mark's really going to be talking about anything that I really need today. I don't understand how important gratitude is. If there ever was a nation of people who needed to understand gratitude, it's Americans. We have more than any generation or any group of people in the history of the world, and yet we're unhappier than any group of people, and often it's because we're not thankful. So, with that in mind, let me ask you, what makes you thankful? What, what has happened in your life, or what have you been given, or what have you been spared, that whenever you think about it, it just causes you to look toward God and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know your life, I know mine. So maybe I'll just tell you about a few things in my life, and maybe I've got blessings you don't have, and you have blessings I don't have, I don't know. But I can just tell you what makes me thankful. I, I, I get thankful at weird times, for instance. I get thankful when I'm holding Mary Alice. Sometimes I'll, we'll, we'll just be hugging and, and holding each other, and I'm so thankful. I mean, God has given me such a soulmate. I mean, we were high school sweethearts together. I mean, we, I met her in high school. She knew me in junior high. She said the first thing I ever said to her was, be quiet. I don't think that's really true, but she says I said that. Because I was an eighth grader, and she was a sixth grader, and I'd been left to oversee some, you know, some room, and she was talking to a friend. I said, be quiet. So she said, that's the first thing I ever said. I haven't said it since, but I said it, <laughs> said it then, I guess. But I mean, we were in high school together, and we talked about all kinds of memories, and then we got married my senior year in college, and, and so we went to college together, and then, you know, we've been in the ministry. Every, every church I've ever served, Mary Alice has been there right, right there with me, and, and we had our kids together, and we've experienced life together, and now, sometimes when I hold her, I think back about remembering her when she was a teenager, and now we're grandparents. And I think about her and what she means to my life and some of the girls I dated and what I could have had or would have had if I'd married those girls. And I'm assuring you that when I hold her, I say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have three sons. My oldest two are grown. One lives in another state. But I call them on the phone or they call me on the phone and we talk for a few moments. And, and it's like it, very rare is the conversation that my sons don't end the, end the call with saying, Dad, I love you. That makes me thankful. I often start thanking God when I drive on the campus here, 25 years here at this church, and it's just been such a marvelous experience. And it's been a wonderful journey, and God just continues to unfold it. And I, Sometimes I just drive on the campus, and I say, Lord, you're so good to me. Thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> You know, I came from Texas, and when I, I went to college in Arlington, Mary Alice and I were on our way to chapel one day. I was 19 years old. I think I was a college sophomore. Never more intelligent in your life than when you're a college sophomore. <laughs> I haven't been that intelligent since. I know that. 
we were on our way to chapel, and I don't even know why I said it. We got to a particular spot, and I told Mary Alice, as I, I was thinking about my future and the ministry that God had for me, and I said, I will go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. <laughs> I'd never even been to Kansas. Wasn't that arrogant? What a sense of humor God has. These days, I'm getting to be an elder statesman, and I'll speak at seminaries and colleges, and always some smart aleck third-year theologue will come up to me and say, I'll go anywhere God sends me but Hawaii. And I'll say, no, you have to mean it. You can't, you can't pull that. <laughs> and outside of my wife and family, this church is the love of my life, and I think, God, how blessed I am. Now, now I thank God that he was smarter than me, and I love, I love I, it's hard for me to say, some of you Texans won't believe this, but I love Kansas. I even love Wichita. It's quirky, but I love it. <laughs> Most of all, I love New Spring Church. I say, God, thank you. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. I just look at things that God has added to my life. And hey, you know what? I'm not rich. In fact, if people looked at me and looked at my bank account, they would sneer. I mean, I'm paycheck to paycheck just like many of you guys. And, and I don't have a whole lot of what this world considers important. But I can tell you when I start thinking about what God has done for me, I'm a rich man. I'm a rich man. What makes you thankful? What do you have what makes you thankful? I can tell you what makes me most intensely thankful. I mean, I can't, I can't explain. Maybe this is just the way I am. You may not be this way, but I look back on things in my life that almost happened to me, and I look and I see the hand of God stopping those things from happening to me. For some reason, those are the ones that will have me falling on my face saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. For instance, my oldest son, Jonathan, serves a church in Oklahoma City, and he's just a great young man. Some of you have heard him speak here. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. I'm proud to be his friend, much less his father. When he was 13, we, we lived in Bel Air at the time. We lived in a two-story house. It was three levels, of course. We had a basement, as all of us do pretty much in Kansas, and then we had main floor and then upstairs where all the bedrooms were. I tell you that for a reason. I don't remember. It was winter. We were getting close to Christmas, and, and it was cold, and I don't remember what it was, but there was something we were supposed to attend. I, w- I want to say it was like a concert or something we were supposed to go to that night, and whole family had been looking forward to it. And that afternoon, I took Jonathan and Jared up to the, up to the rec center there in Bel Air to play basketball, and Jonathan slipped and fell, and he banged his elbow really hard. We thought it might be broken, and he was in enough pain that we decided we weren't going to go to that event. I was kind of miffed about it because I'd been looking forward to it, kind of grousing about the fact. Isn't it interesting how that sometimes the things we complain about, God is at work in those things and we don't realize it? I'm old enough now to thank God for not giving me the answers to some of my prayers. Anyway, I was upset about it. We didn't get to go. We just went home, and Jonathan, we got him some Tylenol and kind of watched him for a while. The way our house was situated, all the bedrooms were on the upstairs level, as I said, but there was one bedroom in the basement, and that was Jonathan's bedroom. We had made a bedroom for him. And all the family was going up to bed except for myself and Jonathan, and Jonathan was headed toward the basement. And I don't know why this happened, but on on the spur of the moment, I just said to Jonathan, hey, buddy, listen, if if you start hurting in the night and you call out to us, I may not be able to hear you on the third level. Why don't you sleep on the main floor tonight? Why don't you sleep on the couch tonight? 
So dutifully, he got his blanket and his pillows, and he brought them up to the couch on the mid-level, main floor. Next morning, Mary Alice and I got up. The kids were all asleep. It was really early, and I said, hey, let's go do some Christmas shopping. The boys are all going to sleep. We'll just let them sleep for a while. So we, we left, and we went to McDonald's and partook of that elegant eating experience that is McDonald's. But I, I, while I was at McDonald's, all the stuff that was weighing on me started coming to me. And I said, babe, I, I hate to reverse course, but why don't we do the Christmas shopping tonight? I really need to get into the office. And so I took her back to the house, and just something wasn't right. I mean, there was something wrong with the air. And it's not that there was any particular scent in it. It just something was wrong with the air, and I could, I could feel it. I said, I, I, Mary, I, said, I don't know. I, I don't, something's not, not right with the air in the house. I, I can't tell what it is, but I said, would you just call the gas company and, and ask them and tell them, tell them what, what I think and see, you know, is, is it something that should be checked out? So I, I left, and, and we were, and in those days, we were on the south side of Wichita and South Hillside. It took me about 20 minutes, I guess, to drive from our house to the campus. And I still remember when I drove up to the campus, almost the entire staff was out there at the curb waiting for me. And one of the staff said, Mark, you need to get back home right now. I drove home as fast as I could, and when I got there, the gas company was there and, and all kinds. I mean, there, there, were, there were trucks and cars everywhere because my house was filled with carbon monoxide. I guess when the builder built it, the exhaust stack wasn't high enough, and somehow, because of the weather, carbon monoxide had backed up into the house. The lady who was leading the the investigation of checking out where the monoxide was, carbon monoxide was, she, she walked me into the basement and showed me that her little monitor there that checked the level of carbon monoxide concentration, that it was off the charts, that it was off, it, it was, it was off her device. The level was so high she couldn't even measure it. And she pointed to the bed where Jonathan slept, and she said, nobody slept there last night. I said, well, how do you know? She said, because anyone who slept in that bed would have been dead by 1 o'clock this morning. I don't even like to think back on that story. But when I do, I say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I remember three years ago, I was driving back from Texas. I'd been speaking at a conference there. And I should tell you this, I... I, I'm a, I love Hondas, Honda Accords. I mean, I just, I'm, I, I'm an addict. I, I just, last time I bought mine, I, three years ago, I just said, hey, I want black with tan interior V6. I didn't even see the car, but I made the deal and then saw the car after I did. But that, that's just how Hondas are. And I love Hondas. I love But I, I drive. I'm in my car all the time. My, my car is like my office. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll put 20, 30,000 miles a year in a car. And so it's always, it's always a challenge for me to, to drive a new car because of that. And when fuel costs started going up, I said, enough of that. I'm going to buy something really, really cheap. And so I got away from God and bought something else besides a Honda. (laughs) And I I bought a car that's marketed for teenagers. And it was a cute little thing, but it was tiny. It got great fuel economy, but I mean, I'm like driving a tin can, you know? So anyway, long story short, I'm I'm coming back from Texas, and um, I I wanted to get home in the worst way. So I left 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, really early. And across the Oklahoma border, I called Mary Allison. She said, babe, is, is it raining where you are? I said, no, nah, it's dry as a bone. The moment I said that, it started raining. <laughs> and it rained all the way through Oklahoma. And for those of you who have to travel from Kansas to Texas, you know how long Oklahoma is. 
I-35 is almost interminable. <laughs> but I fought the rain all the way through Oklahoma. And I crossed the Kansas border. And I'm on the turnpike. And I'm almost home. I'm at mile marker 38. And I'm just rounding a gentle bend. And there was a front that came through that morning. And this, this I guess it was this huge gust of wind. Because I'm just rounding the bend. And all of a sudden, at 70 miles an hour, this gust of wind caught me and turned my car around. And I'm now going backward up the turnpike at 70 miles an hour. They say your life flashes before your face. It doesn't. It really doesn't. All I had time to do was pray and think, I'm going to hit something really, really hard, and I wonder what the traffic is like behind me. You can laugh at me if you want to. But it's like I had this incredible peace, even as I'm going back up the turnpike. And God just gently moved my car over into the concrete median, and it just scraped up the concrete median and came to a gentle stop. And you know what? There was a ton of traffic behind me. It, but they were about a quarter mile away. It was like an angel just held them back. Oh, let me tell you. Every time I cross mile marker 38 on the turnpike, I have a worship service in my car. <laughs> because I realize, I mean, hand me for the hand of God. What makes you thankful? What moment in your life did you know that God was sparing your life? How about this? The Bible says every one of us is a sinner. We've all broken God's law, and you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And there are only two places to go when this life is over. There's either heaven with God, where you have to be perfect to get in, and hell, which is eternal separation from God, which is what I deserve. But 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came to our world on a rescue mission, and he took my hell from me when he died on the cross so that he could give his perfection to me. And when I invited him into my life, I'm God's child, and nothing can ever take that away from me. Hey, that's amazing. Because, see, someday, God's hand is not going to be there to rescue me from death. Someday there will be a disease that God will not heal me from. There will be an accident that God will not spare me from. And I will leave this life. But instead of going to the place where I deserve to go, I'll be able to go to heaven to be with God forever. That makes me thankful. What makes you thankful? Maybe we need to stop and ask, what is gratitude? Because we're Americans. We, thank you means saying thank you. Thank you means writing a thank you note. And those are good habits to have, but is, is, that just, is gratitude just saying thank you, God? Or is it deeper than that? I'm not going to read this story to you, but there's a story in the Gospel of Luke that I think all of us need to pay attention to. <laughs> the story goes something like this. Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem for the last time. This will be the trip where he'll be arrested and he'll be executed. So there's only hours basically left of his public ministry. There are 10 guys who are hanging out with each other because they have to. <laughs> you ever been so rejected that you found yourself hanging out with a group of people you didn't even like, but that was the only crowd that was left? These guys were lepers. Now, leprosy is a tough disease today, but it was far worse in Jesus' day. 
leprosy would attack the digits. It would attack the fingers and the toes. And what would happen is there would be a skin lesion that would come up. And all of us get skin lesions from time to time. And there was the feeling, well, it's going to go away. But it wouldn't go away. It would get worse. And then it would actually begin to cause the fingers and toes to become numb. And when they became numb, a person with leprosy would hurt himself or hurt herself. And and that person wouldn't even know that they were causing damage because their extremities were numb. And then because they harmed themselves and because of the lesions after a while, gross as it sounds, it would actually begin to eat the fingers and toes off the body. It was a horrible disease, but it wasn't just bad because it was a tough disease to deal with. It was fatal. There was no cure, no healing from it pretty much. And then beyond that, the people in Jesus' day, they didn't just look at lepers as being diseased. They looked at them as being dirty because they had these continual oozing sores. And and lepers would wrap themselves with cloth, and then they would burn the dirty cloths. It was just a horrible disease to have. For instance, when you're reading the Bible, sometimes you will read that Jesus cleansed lepers. That was because in those days, lepers were not only considered diseased, but dirty. And they had to withdraw from society. They would lose their jobs. They would have to leave their families. They would have to go out and live with other lepers in leper colonies. And so these 10 guys who encountered Jesus, and they got him in a timely, timely manner because it, it was just going to be a few hours before Jesus would be arrested. You can understand why these 10 guys cried out and said, Jesus, would you help us, please? And interestingly, Jesus instructed them to do something that was an act of faith. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. Any leper who thought that he might be healed would go to the priest, and the priest would look him over and look at his hands and feet and see if indeed he was clean, if he was healed. And if he was, the priest would pronounce him now fit to go back into public, into public society. So Jesus told these guys before they were healed, go show yourselves to the priest. And as an act of faith, all 10 did exactly that. They made a U-turn and they, they went to show themselves to the priest. And the moment they turned, they were instantly healed. And when nine of them saw that their flesh had returned back to normal, they bolted to see the high priest. I mean, after all, they had families to get back to. They had jobs to reapply for They had things to do. They had people to see. It's a very popular expression with us in America today. They wanted to get on with their lives. But one guy, when he saw he was healed, he made another U-turn. And the Bible says that he came back, and when you read this, you will discover that he fell at Jesus' feet, and he was saying with a loud voice, you know what, when God does something great for you, you will lose your dignity. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, Mark, I don't know, worship at at New Spring is kind of loud. You know, I like it real sedate and quiet. When, When God does great things for you, it's really tough to be quiet about it. Man, this guy lost all protocol and all dignity, and he was with a loud voice praising Jesus. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? In that story, I learned five things about gratitude. And I'm not trying to come up with a list. Lord knows I hate lists. But there are just five things I see real clearly about gratitude there that help me. You ready for these? Number one, gratitude is stopping. That's the hardest thing that I have to do. 
My life goes a million miles an hour, just like yours does. And on top of that, you know, we have all these devices that keep us connected to everybody else. I mean, I'll walk around with this. Sometimes this is the biggest, you know, as far as operationally, it's one of the biggest blessings I have. It's also one of the biggest curses that I have because it's, it's always there. We get text messages and voicemails and tweets and all kinds of stuff and phone calls. And, and I'm, I'm always leaving it somewhere. I swear it's Freudian. You know, I'm leaving it at a restaurant. And they call me and say, did you leave a phone here? I think I'm trying to get away from it, honestly. We have places to go, people to see, and things to do. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you just stopped and God had all your attention? For a lot of us, we're thankful. We say thanks to God, but it's kind of like when we're thanking God for a meal and the fork with the first bite's already halfway up while we're thanking God. Thanksgiving is stopping. Stopping. Shutting down the machinery, getting quiet. I mean, this guy, sure, he had things to do. I assure you, listen, I know we're all busy, but there's not a person on this campus this weekend who is as busy as those lepers were because it was their life. They needed to get to the priest to show him that they were okay so that they could get on with life. All of us are busy, but none of us is that busy. And yet this one guy, with everything screaming at him, shut it all down and turned around and stopped and gave thanks to God. The second thing is he realized value had been added to his life. You say, well, of course, duh. Really? Let me, let me tell you something. Any of us who complain, we're not realizing the value that God has added to our lives. Now, there, there'll always be things to complain about if you want to focus on those. There'll be things that aren't going well. See, you and I can choose. We can focus on what's not going well, or we can focus on God's blessing in our lives. We can, re- we can say, you know what, I- I've got stuff taken away from me, but-, but how about just focusing on the blessings? For many of us, this would revolutionize our marriages. If instead of complaining about what's wrong, if we would focus on the value that God has added to our lives. Very quickly, let me go to the third thing. It's an awareness that we would suffer a great loss if we were to lose the things that God has brought into our lives. You know, I can, I can complain about, well, I don't have this or I don't have that, but I wonder, do I ever think about what I do have? I mean, how many of us, let me, let me, guys, let me ask you a question. How many of us who are married have thanked God already today for our wives? I guarantee you, if you thought you were going to lose her today, you would feel that sense of loss. How many of us have thanked God for our kids today? I have some very good friends who got some really, really tough news physically about one of their kids this week, and it's just breaking my heart, and I'm praying to God with everything I have for this kid. But I'm just saying, many of us, when was the last time that we said, God, thank you for my kids? Gratitude is number one, stopping. Number two, it's recognizing that God has added value to our life. Number three, it's realizing that we would suffer a huge loss if it were taken away. And number four, gratitude is acknowledging God is the source behind every good thing we have. You know what causes me to cringe sometimes? And like a friend said to me today, he said, you want to back away in case lightning strikes from somebody who says this. But every once in a while, I hear people say, hey, I, 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 I... I'm responsible for everything in my life. I worked hard for this. 
Well, let me ask you a question. If that's how you feel, who gave you the strength to work? Who gave you the mind to think? Who gave you the opportunities that you have? You could have been born someplace where you wouldn't have had the educational opportunities. You could have been strategically placed in a situation where you would never be encouraged to do the great things that you've done. Guys, let me just tell you this. Every good thing you have in your life came from the hand of God. And Thanksgiving is saying, God, I wouldn't have any of this if it weren't for you. And now let me close with this. There's something about thanksgiving that turns around to God and says, so what? All of us who are thankful, all of us who are here, let me just back it up and make it broader. Every person who is here today is saying, so what to God in regard to what he's given you. Because some of of us, God has given so much to and we say, so what? You know, it's always been amazing to me. I, I believe in tithing. I believe the, the biblical principle that one-tenth of what God gives me belongs to God, and, and tithing's part of my life, and offerings on top of that. But it's interesting, as, as, as polls have been done about who tithes, it's so interesting that, that as people get more money, they tend to tithe less. Isn't that weird? Especially when you consider it's on a percentage basis. Because people who make so much more have so much more left over. Amazing, isn't it? What what happens is God blesses someone, and that person says, so what? So what? Yeah. I realize value's been added. I, I would miss it if it were taken away. Maybe God is the source, but so what? I have to keep up my standard of living. Everybody else who works with me, they're buying you know, this, and they're having that, and so I have to, have to keep up, so, so what? But there are others of us who, when we realize that God has blessed us, we say, so what do I do now? There was a verse I was going to read to you, Psalm 116, 12. And, and, and in that psalm, and we're, we're going to see this in a minute, the psalmist is saying, what, what do I give back for all the blessings that you've given to me? See, see, I think that's in the heart of a truly grateful person. They stop, they realize value's been added, they, they, they know that they would suffer if it was taken away, and they say, God is the source. But they don't just stop with a thank you card or a thank you note to God. They're saying, okay, no, no, no. God has blessed me with all these things. How do I respond? I was going to just read one verse to you, but when I, get, when I got to campus today, just to get my heart prepared for the talk, I decided to read the entire psalm, and it was just so good, with your permission. Would you let me read the whole psalm to you? Because I think this will cause you to be grateful if you'll open your heart to it. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. I have this underline because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. You remember my two stories? Death wrapped me in its ropes, or wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. I have this underlined. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. 
He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I love that verse. And so I'll walk in the Lord's presence. The psalmist is saying, I thought I was in trouble. I thought death was going to get me, but I asked God for help, and God, God spared my life. And now the psalmist is saying, I'm just living life. I'm rolling with God looking at me. I believed in you, so I said, I'm deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. And here's our verse. What can I offer the Lord? What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. Now, let me, let me tell you what that means. I, just make sure that you and I understand this. The psalmist imagined that all of God's rescues in his life could be put in a cup. He thought about all the good things that God had done, all the times that God had gotten him out of trouble. And he imagined they were in a cup, and he said, I'm going to lift it up to God, and I'm going to thank God for all the times that he got me out of trouble and answered my prayers. Because he's asked the question, what am I going to do? What am I going to give back to God for all the good things he's done? And, and, and he's saying, first thing I want to do, I just want to thank God for all the things he's done. I want to hold up the cup of salvation. I want to give God thanks. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Oh, Lord, I'm your servant. Yes, I'm your servant. Born into your household, you have freed me from my chains. And now verse 17. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There it is. Don't let that escape too fast. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Hey guys, I've been giving ever since I was a child. Tithing's been part of my life. A tenth of my income, mission giving, gifts. That's just how the Hoover household goes. But could I be real with you for a moment? It's not really a sacrifice. It's not. I mean, for one thing, you can't outgive God, so God blesses me, but it's not really a sacrifice. I'm an American. I still live in a nice home. I still have a good automobile. I still have clothes to wear, more than I can, more clothes than I have closet for. It's not a sacrifice. <laughs> David was king, and he understood that. Interestingly, there was a time in David's life where he was in real trouble, and he prayed, and God answered his prayer. And it was in a particular place. It was on a particular piece of land that God answered his prayer. And David was just driven. He wanted to build an altar to God on that piece of land. And the owner of the land was so glad because, after all, this was his king, and he wanted to do something for the king. The owner said, hey, I'll, I'll just give you the land, and you can build an altar to God. I'll give it to you. And David said, no, I insist on paying for it. And here's what he said. I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. David is saying, God, you've been so good to me. I'm going to hold up the cup of salvation, and I'm going to give you thanks for it. But I can't stop there. I'm going to keep my promises to you. Those things I said I was going to do, and I'm kind of slipping, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to keep those promises. And then he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way to give something that I feel. I'm going to give. See, a sacrifice is something that you feel. And David said, I'm going to give something that I feel. Our offering at New Spring is going to be just a little different today. 
This time of year, we, we receive an offering for people who are having a tough time. People who need food and clothing. There's several organizations that do such a phenomenal job here in, in Wichita, and, and we, we help them because they're on the front lines of meeting needs. Normally we have this offering around Christmas, but I was just so burdened about Thanksgiving this year that I thought, maybe Thanksgiving is the right time to receive this offering. Maybe, maybe people who are trying to figure out how to lose weight, like me, should think about people who are hungry. Maybe people like me who are trying to figure out what to do with clothes that there aren't room for, maybe people like me should think about people who don't have enough clothes to wear. Maybe a thankful man, a thankful woman, a thankful person would say, what could I do? What could I give back to show God how thankful I am? So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to do something today, or at least to think about it. There's an offering envelope in the back of a chair around you, and, and I know in my case there's always my normal tithe and my offerings, but on top of that, I want to ask you, would you contemplate giving a Thanksgiving offering today? And unless you designate it otherwise, everything that comes, if you designate it Thanksgiving offering, it'll go to helping people who are having a tough time. And you can put it on this, you can write it on this, you can put it on the memo blank of your check, whatever. But I just think, wouldn't it, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be something today if our hearts could be stirred to be thankful for what God has done? And, and if you want to, you can say, well, Mark, I want to give a Thanksgiving offering to the kids' ministry. You can do that if you wish, or you feel designated that way, or you just say, Mark, I just, my heart is touched for world missions and getting the gospel around the world. And so you, you could put that on the missions blank if you want to. That's fine. But if you put Thanksgiving offering, whatever you, whatever you designate as Thanksgiving offering, will go to helping people who are having a tough time. And I know this. I'll know you'll be glad you did it a thousand years from now, ten million years from now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today about gratitude. Stir it in our hearts. Lord, if something goes really toxic when we stop giving you thanks for the good things in our lives. I pray even right now, as I pray and as you touch my heart, would you touch the heart of every person here today to just consider how blessed we are. Oh God, in this narcissistic, selfish age, it's so easy for us to think about what we don't have. But oh God, would you open our hearts to what we do have and remind us that you are the source. Would you receive our gratitude? And these offerings that are being prepared today... Would you receive these? And you have promised that you would multiply our gift and then turn right back around and bless us. And we are claiming that and we believe it with all our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.